P3E4N1. And remember, too, you can also donate through PayPal or other means. And you can order through PayPal if you send a separate email confirming your order along with the PayPal payments. That's up to you. Now, the New World Order. New World Order, we've heard it so many times, beginning really to take off with George Sr., George Bush Sr., who mentioned it on their wonderful date of September the 11th, 1990, and then again on the same date, 91. And we'll go into a little bit of that after we come back from this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just mentioning how Bush Sr. talked about uh, a new world order coming into view, as he put it. And he also mentioned a thousand points of light that were already working towards it. This was never explained to the public what what it meant. Of course, no journalist there would ask the obvious uh, questions, such as, uh, what do you mean by a new world order? Do you, mean, do you mean that the old, it's now a post-Cold War? What do you mean? Nobody asked them that. Because they're, they're, they know what to ask, you see. The media is part of government, big media. And has been definitely since before World War I in the United States. You, you'll find, if you look into the speeches of Theo Roosevelt, he mentioned points of light. He talked about himself hoping to go down as a point of light. And he mentioned that history, or likened history to a dark, dark tunnel down through time, which was lit here and there by famous people who were generally, by the way, conquerors, people who liked mass slaughter, the, the tyrants even, didn't matter who they were in their view, because in, you see, in the Kabbalistic way of looking at things, there's no right or wrong. There's only only outcomes, and someone always benefits from outcomes, regardless of how many people die or get slaughtered in a campaign, such as Alexander the Great's, for instance. So we talked about that's what it is. They're, they're points of light, these characters down through history, and he hoped to go down as one. But he wasn't the first one to mention it in the U.S., because Benjamin Franklin, in his own memoirs, in his diaries and in his letters, it wrote about himself hoping to go down as a point of light because this is a Masonic doctrine and I use that loosely because Freemasons have never really understood who rules them except very, very high members perhaps but they talked about uh, the points of light guiding lights, etc points of light but it also refers to main characters alive today in the terminology they're applying it to Currently, they, they are also the big movers and shakers towards this new world order, this globalized system, the dream of the ages, as they often call it. Uh, it used to be called utopianism at one point, and it certainly was sold to the public in previous generations and previous centuries as a form of utopia. 
it's beautiful when you help to create a state of misery and poverty in nations. Get it ripe for revolution, put out the propaganda, and bring forth men who speak on behalf of you, who always vocalize what you'd like to vocalize if you could find the words. That's why they always get an intelligentsia well-versed in speech-making to guide the people who always end up generally worse off than they were before. That's a technique that's used upon peoples because there's an organized group running the world who know where they're going. And it combined with Darwinism, which helped to, to bolster its theories of not just selective uh, mating, basically, but special mating. And many of these characters, as I say, like uh, Charles Darwin himself and many others of his era and his ilk, of the Royal Society, a Freemasonic organization that was created for scientific endeavors, still guides the world today. And you still have to be a high Freemason to join it and to be asked to join it. But anyway, Darwin uh, was promoted by the Royal Society that was given a royal charter to exist, meaning it spoke on behalf of the aristocracy and the the rulers, the establishment, as they say, of Britain at that time. And even to join that group back then, you had to put your wife away and become like a kind of monk, dedicated with no distractions to the cause. The cause. Many terms for the same thing. Sometimes they say the work, the great work, or the cause. And it's directing and guiding those guys being illuminaries and illuminated points of light guiding the world towards a destiny which they believed they would be in control of. Charles Darwin, remember, was interbred. He was, at least we can trace him back three or four generations. Every member of his family, his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, only married into one other family, and that was the Wedgwoods, because they were practicing specialized breeding for hybrids using an idea that even Plato talked about where he could select mates such as a good mathematician mate him up with a good math- mathematician and a good chance there would be of producing another good mathematician perhaps even better and then by inbreeding them even more and more they could weed out or breed out undesirable qualities like compassion for instance you don't want leaders with too much compassion and breed in certain other traits for rulership so psychopathic traits were inbred into them. So the Darwins basically were only intermarried with one family, the Wedgwoods, for generations. And it got so bad at one point because of the lack of fresh genes coming in that Charles, I think all his children died, the last two in insane asylums. And his wife died, a Wedgwood again, like his father and grandfather. So he, mothered his, he married his mother's sister, another Wedgwood, his second wife. Now, not only he was doing this sort of thing, all of those in the big Royal Society game were, had already been practicing it because they believed already before we we're told that genes were discovered that it was all in the breeding, as Plato had said thousands of years before. They could breed certain types to excellence. So anyway, Marx coupled the doctrine of Darwinism to Marxism 
and dedicated, I think it's taking her third publication uh, edition to Darwin to, because it bolstered that, as I say, the whole Marxist doctrine of dialectical materialism. Nothing existed except intelligence, and of course they were the intelligent ones that led the world, and materialism is what it's all about today, you would say economics, basically, broadly speaking. Even back then, in the days of Darwin, they talked about population control, moving towards a post-industrial era where they claimed they would no longer need the people. Now, under the doctrine of Darwinism, which led to incredible horrors like uh, Marxism, to Leninism, Bolshevism, and mass slaughter, mass slaughter always follows, and also to Hitler's ideology, which was National Socialism, because they're all socialistic in, in their, their take on history and the progression of history. They call it socialism. Where an intelligentsia should rule over the masses, always on their behalf, of, you understand. That's how they put it, on your behalf. And you'll all be equal in this utopia. But of course, as Plato said, that we, the rich, you said, have to worry about our mansions, our castles, because your servants will steal from you. You have to replace the things that are stolen. You have to maintain the upkeep of your castle. You have to pay uh, for the cleanup of the cleaning staff, servants, and so on. Isn't it far better to bring in a world society in his book called The Republic, where the masses that you rule over, on their behalf, of course, um, will pay through taxation for all the upkeep. So that technically, you won't own it, but you have the right to live in it and be served. Objects replaced are broken, worn out, or stolen. And the public will pay for all the staff as well. And that's what you have today. And that's technically what communism is based on. It's the putting up the top of an elite who belong to an association higher above the propaganda they give out to the general masses. It's interesting, too, <clears throat> where Lenin said himself that there were three levels of propaganda. One given out to the general masses, pushing the utopian image of equality and all working together towards a common cause of betterment. There's another one told to the, the middle echelons of managerial classes, another version of their agenda. And it says only for those in the upper circle will they be told the true agenda. That's how open communism or the Soviet system was. It's all based on lies and fraud. It really is just a, a, a neoplatonic idea, neoplatonism that was born in Alexandria it was revived, I'd say, in Alexandria in, in 300-odd A.D. And they believed that the Fisher Kings, the Fisher Kings, as they called them, uh, these were professors, basically, what we call professors today, philosophers in those days, with their own particular schools, would pick selected students and bring them into the mysteries. And the mysteries were simply the control of people, masses of people, how to control 
their minds, how to motivate them to do your bidding as willing creatures, willing servants to your cause. And that's where the whole idea of the Fisher King came from. Many of these societies, even long before Alexandria, if you look at Pythagoras and others, use a technique of what was later used in some Catholic monasteries. In fact, some of the Catholic monasteries that came out in the Middle Ages really were, you could say, were continuations of them, preaching a different gospel than the one they taught to the people. Because you always infiltrate your enemy to take them down. Back with more after this break. Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, just giving you a quick rundown of a movement that started long ago, really a, a, it's very loosely called Gnosticism, not the kind that's put out there by the New Agers today, that's meant to entice them into so-called other mysteries, or the lesser mysteries, which keep them happy and amused for an awful long time, sometimes years, but the real thing, because it was to do, again, with a world society. If you look at Egypt, whatever it really taught, since it was the main teacher for an awful long time, even to the Greek aristocracy, they all went over there to learn. And then when they'd gone on to the high initiate ship in Egypt, they went off to another place in what they called the Levant, another place to learn uh, more mysteries, and then even to a trip to India. And then they complete the circle and come back to the country of origin where they came from. And uh, Plato did this, and others did this too. But what he exported really was revolution by different technique, not by sending armies out, by, by sending high initiates and wise men, philosophers. And they go back to their own countries and, and start up their schools. The schools, even school, is a word coming from the Greek language, meaning basically... Leisure comes from the word leisure because only a leisure class could attend, and you weren't forced to go. And youngsters would come in here, some mysteries of it to entice them in, and if they liked to teach her, they'd come back and come back and come back. Different from the compulsory education of today, or indoctrination uh, depends on how you look at it. But um, that's really what they exported for an awful long time, and that's what's behind Pythagoras too, because he started up his, his school when he went back to Crotona and eventually his school was burned down when the people there understood what he was really all about the youngsters that he was recruiting had to take vows of silence for a few years before they got into the higher mysteries much like the Asenis that pre-existed them or actually it came after them I should say uh, in the Middle East about 2,000 years ago and those who could keep silence, watch, look, and listen as a part of the motto even of today's Freemasonry, then they would pass and get selected to go higher and be given tasks within communities or countries. They also brought in, in Pythagoras, women, very much like the French Grand Orient Lodge. And these women were, were given a good education and taught um, etiquette 
deportment, and they were made highly desirable by people outside the communities, and they hoped they'd marry nobility and rulers, and that way they could influence policy on behalf of Pythagoras himself. Then that's why, when people caught on to what was really happening, they went after his school and burned it down. And he, was the only, he wasn't the only one. Socrates, too, you'll find, is often portrayed as a great man, a great thinker, and he certainly had a sense of humor here and there, if you look at some of his writings, because his wife was a very unhappy person, very dour, and his students asked him why he still kept her around. And he said, she's there to, to remind me to be humble, he says. So he had a sense of humor, and he certainly put a lot of truth out there, too. But we've got to remember what he was eventually accused of, and it was the same kind of thing uh, of sedition by influencing the youth to rebellion. The techniques are used today are the same. We've heard all through the communist era because really it's a continuation of the same techniques where they go after the youth and indoctrinate a generation to bypass the parents with contaminated ideas so the fresh uh, youth will come up and bring in their system, which of course is a system that's not theirs at all. It's a system devised by very old men who belong to very high clubs and fraternities that's why Obama and his million man army and the youth army and all the rest of it the young communist league of the Soviets uh, Hitler's youth all had these things in common you bypass the parents with old fashioned ideas and the parents obviously hopefully have more wisdom than young when we're, when we're young and foolish we're very easily conned that's the last thing a young person wants to hear when they're trying to establish their identity and their place in the world and how they fit in I understand how it's very very appealing I talked to uh, some people who were in the Hitler youth one of them was a Polish fellow and he said we were all from the bottom of the heap he says the working class and the first set of good clothing he was given was was by and brand new clothing was from the, the Hitler youth and I understand that perfectly well that's how you're taken in and then they take you off to runs in the country like the Boy Scouts and give you some confidence in yourself make you feel that you belong and that your generation is special not dreamed up by Hitler either but you'll find the same thing with the man who started up the Boy Scouts who wanted a world army to help bring in the world culture you understand in the 1800s into the 1900s this idea was already firmly established of conquering the world bringing a world society and it was pushed on the one hand by communism and by those within the banking industries and the aristocracies of countries like Britain something that's always confused people is why why would the main enemy of communism be an intelligentsia be an old fashioned society and why they would eliminate people like well they think capitalism and I mentioned last night no, they transform capitalism into the Marxian theory which was intended to do back after this break you're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, just mentioning how the techniques work down through the ages, and that nothing really is by chance on a big, large scale, because through conflict comes resolution, and it's the same technique as we now call Hegelianism, very old, old technique, long before Hegel came along, where you want something to change in your favor, and things don't change much when there's no opposition to anything. So you create an opposition, and you argue you might have wars even, or riots. It's a lot of trouble to, to bring commerce, especially to a standstill, and then you have meetings, and you have a resolution that comes out of it. That's, that's the, the, the thesis, antithesis, and synthesis idea. However, when you guide all of that, it's a synthesis that you're after. It's the outcome you were after all along. And they used to refer to this even at Alexandria an awful long time ago. Uh, and they mentioned that uh, nature, they, they'd couch it under the terms to see which peoples would catch on, that nature is always in conflict. Even the seasons are in conflict. You'll have a spring, you'll have a, a fall or an autumn, and you'll have, uh, you'll have a winter and a summer. So each one competes with the other, and then out comes the next one. The next one takes over. The synthesis takes over for a while. The synthesis itself breaks down into new thesis. That's the idea. Ongoing revolution, they called it. They also wrote it into the stars and gave you wonderful stories in Greek mythology. Remembering that Greek mythology was heavily coupled to their teachings from Egypt. And they used the stars, and the simpletons would think the stars were really fighting each other, as he gave these wonderful stories of constellations and Orion, etc. And, and of course, Orion was also the same character in the night sky as Osiris, or his son Horus, depends on the era that you look at. Uh, so the ordinary folk would think they really were up there fighting. And m much of the, the fairy tales, in fact, we even had coming down through the 1800s, were based on, supposed these conflicts in the sky. You find the same thing in India with the stories of the gods fighting each other uh, these were actually the simple movement of constellations going through the heavens, the houses as it's called in some places with the different figures and animals and creatures and dragons fighting each other that's where it all comes from but the higher initiate with the brains was supposed to figure it out himself and say that what they're really teaching us here is that everything is in conflict and that all conflict leads to betterments it's called progress. And those at the top want planned progress. I used to ask that as a child, what is progress? Are they happier now than they were yesterday or years before? Generally, they're not. But someone always thinks it's called progress. Someone decides it's called progress. But progressing to what? I think it's so odd that we're all progressing towards a world state that has all the tenets of what the mystery religions called uh, a, 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 a utopia of sorts with a vastly reduced population using again the Darwinian techniques and Darwin only came out with a very old idea amongst these same groups pre-existing him where again using allegories to show you how things work and it's, this is from Darwin's writings and I'm paraphrasing from memory he said uh, germs, bacteria will come into an area 
and alter the soil. Worms move in and bring air and oxygen into the soil. Uh, other seeds will grow and they die off, leaving other minerals in that soil. And it's all preparing for the oak tree or, an, or a tree to grow there. So it's suitable. It can actually live there now. And that also meant that all those waves of creatures, uh, insects, uh, that went before and died, all had a purpose for the strong to go on. You've got to understand that very basic concept. Because really that's eugenics we're talking about. And people they're talking about. And the people who worked in the lower ranks and the factories and so on for the industrial era all had their uses to drive on because someone must always survive in humanity through every age. It's almost identical to Brahmanism, by, not by coincidence either. And in Brahmanism, they talk about the same kind of thing, that at, towards the end, they call it the waves in Brahma, the waves of time, the waves of the ages, and theosophy that is coupled with, with Brahmanism, they call it the waves of theosophy. These are waves of time, vast amounts of time, where everything works the same way as Darwin, you see, to prepare something for an elite. And those who are the elite humans must go on into a new age every so often at predetermined times. But none of the old types, the ones that basically Darwin would say, uh, made the soil, prepared the soil, and worked the soil in preparation for the elite, none of those must come through into a new age because they would literally destroy that elite whose time now had come to go on. This is basic eugenics. Very, very old concept. And under the guise of globalism and saving the world with this sudden uh, idea that came out of the Club of Rome, this sudden new concept, oh my God, there's too many people on the planet and you're all polluting and it's going to kill us all. Uh, therefore, we've got to bring down the population drastically. That's the main intent, the main intent behind the meeting at Copenhagen. It's the main intent. The Club of Rome, remember, the premier club, club of Rome for the UN, the think tank, premier think tank, admits in their own book, The First Global Revolution, that they came up with the idea because they were told to find a way to unite the world together in a wartime scenario where people wouldn't mind giving up rights and freedoms to save ourselves as we do in all wars. So they decided man would be making a war on the planet, so man was the enemy. And under this treaty, and don't believe anything they tell you right now, their main, their main thing is population reduction. These guys are liars, you understand? They've lied down through the centuries for their goals. Always lying. And they'll say, yes, CO2, and it's this and that. No, it's population reduction thereafter. Massive population reduction. Look up on the internet the Georgia Guidestones. Look it up. And they have, it is written in all different languages. Big money put it up. Using a Rosicrucian name of the character, even, that supposedly put up the money. They're still kept quiet by the Masons, because they all know who it is, obviously, since they applied for the permission for to have it built. But you know who runs all your towns and your villages. And they do keep secrets, don't they? 
but they say they want to bring the population down to a, a, a tiny fraction to what it is now. Not just the population down, because believe you me, these guys at the top don't believe in equality at all. I just told you what they believe in. It's superiority. And they don't believe that you, you can get through. You, in fact, you mustn't come through to the new golden age that they're going to bring in. You'll build it for them. Again, getting the soil ready for the big tree to grow. You'll build it all of them. You, your, your predecessors built it for them too. You've had their world wars to bring it in as well. But no, you and your offspring will not be allowed to come through because you see, you're now obsolete. Obsolete. You have to read books like H.G. Wells, one of the top propagandists for this organization, who didn't sit and scribble by himself in candlelight. He had a whole office building, actually a house, with many floors on it, full of staff churning out that stuff. They all do this kind of stuff. They always give a front man, you see. And he was given ideas by professors, both from Oxford and Cambridge, for his stories. He had to write certain things within his stories, or even build stories around the main items he was told to reject, because predictive programming, through novels especially, and fiction, now it's movies, works very well. It's more, it's more effective than sitting down and giving people history lessons. Or mind control lessons in school. Your guard is down when you're, when you're watching fiction or reading it, and you identify with the characters and the heroes. And the bird occurs to you, and the bird occurs to you that the characters at the bottom, the monsters, the ones who eat flesh, etc., are you. Never occurs to you. That's a beautiful way to write for, always for two points of view, for the elite and the no, and for you at the bottom. You go along with it and you get entertained. And these guys mean business. And they're fulfilling it, they're, they're a goal. The greatest thing about internal coup, a coup, when someone takes over, is that there's two ways to do it. One, it's openly like the Bolshevik takeover in the middle of the night with 100 men who took over the beginnings of a supposedly democratic system in, the, in Russia where most of the different competing groups had the basic form of a parliament already established based on the same idea supposedly as the monarchy, uh, the monarchical, I should say, democracy of England. But the Bolsheviks had a different agenda and the bankers who funded them had a different agenda too. It was to bring in a world society through revolution and conflict, through nature again, understanding nature. Only through conflict can you get change and you direct the change because you direct the conflict and you create the conflict. Don't be fooled by the carbon dioxide nonsense. Don't be fooled because they, they turn out paid for, bought and paid for experts or scientists who work for the IPCC. People who were nobodies a few years ago. People who couldn't even drag students into their classes are, are now the heroes because they're the experts on this great catastrophe that's in the, in the making. They're well paid. Well paid. They'll all be millionaires before they retire, each one of them. If they go along with the con game. And they are, most of them. 
the emails that were exposing their, their emails, their lies to each other, went through this pretty precisely. How they were told to scrub stuff off so that the investigations, authorized government investigations into the data, uh, would simply be not there, gone. They, they admitted how to fudge figures to lie to the public. Why? Because all these guys were selected, that's why, by higher organizations that use the con men and the sciences to con the public. And they always make sure they have dedicated, dedicated servants leading the world. These guys are sworn to the agenda. Sworn. On oaths to the agenda. All hoping that they'll have the better genes to come through into the new age as they're killing everybody else off. Actually, they do get certain things given to them to make sure. Uh, for instance, they get they get little um, passes so they can they can get access to the organic foods and stuff. Something the stuff that's not modified and isn't laced with pesticides that's killing everybody off with cancers and sterilizing people. They get all these little bonuses thrown in. You see. They get specialized medical care in non-governmental hospitals. It actually, it's kind of governmental. We pay for it all, but it's, it's very top military hospitals. And the whole of the British Commonwealth is on that system for politicians, top politicians, and all top bureaucrats as well. That was the newspapers in Canada back in the 80s. That, that was signed into law. So they're bought and paid for, you see. The whole carbon thing, as I say, is nonsense. Years ago, four or five years ago, they started giving out carbon credits before Copenhagen came along, before anybody says, oh, there's a consensus now on, on an agreement uh, to do with, we're all on board with, all scientists agree. No, all scientists do not agree. Only the ones on the paychecks are paid to turn out the rubbish agree. That's where their cash is. That's where their grants are. But they're already giving out carbon credits to the big international corporations, and some of them have made multi-millions on trading these carbon credits to each other. Isn't it amazing how the ones at the top, that all the little, the, the little low-level greenies at the bottom were screaming about these big corporations are making millions off it, and yet they haven't spent anything yet, just making money off it. And I've read some of the articles here of the richest guy in Britain who's probably going to get about $14, 15000000 million because you get all these surplus credits. They were given these credits. Al Gore is raking the cash in because he set up the corporation, the big one, one of the biggest in the world, that carbon credits go through. And he pays his carbon credits into his own company and gets them all back again with interest. to bring you down. So why even bother with Copenhagen? It's a formality. You think they're really arguing out there? You think they're really, really arguing? All the crooks, the petty crooks, who are arguing there about anything, it's just who, who gets what share of what. That's what they're arguing. The spoils of war. War on who? The world's population. All of you. And your children to come, if they allow you to get born. Because, believe you me, compulsory sterilization, apart from the chemical sterilization we've, we've already been subjected to, is definitely coming in, big time. 
I've gone through John Holdren's history, and if people can't figure out why these characters are all on boards and governments, appointed in governments, right now at this time in history, and the same types as him, belonging to the same organizations as him, are on board with every government of the world that put on their, their, their counseling boards. It's all for a reason. It's not by happenstance. Why are they all on board in every country at the same time, these appointees? Hardline fanatics. Holdren, in the book called Ecoscience, said he wanted to bring in compulsory sterilization, compulsory abortion, 30-odd years ago. You think he's changed his tune? You think he's wisened up and got some compassion? No, 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 no. This is the same hard fanatic as he always was. That's why he was picked for this position right now. To show you the farces that they go through. Why are they waiting for Copenhagen? As I say, they're handing out billions of dollars worth of free, free, taxpayer-funded carbon credits to the big corporations. Here's an article here from the CBC Canada, that's the Communist Broadcasting Corporation as it's, as, as it's lovingly called in Canada and it truly is communist because even defectors from the Soviet Union were sent there to work there and they said there's more communists working inside than there was in the Soviet Union and Alberta is going to spend $495 million on carbon, carbon capture pipeline that's over a month ago before Copenhagen back after this break with more through the matrix but just mentioning before I take a caller that uh, Alberta for instance this is one, one instance of many instances 495 million dollars on carbon capture pipeline they're going to sink supposedly the CO2 from the oil fields into the into the to the ground and capture it capture it why not put in tin cans then they could trade tin cans of CO2 across the planet you said something to look at rather than nothing and the big corporations, by the way, are getting uh, money from the taxpayer to pay for all this. Back. No, what I want to do now is go to Joey from South Korea. Are you there, Joey? Hey, Alan. This is yes. Joey. Um, oh, you your, do show is, uh, your show is great. And, um, yeah, I just love listening to it. And I'm just going back through all your old shows, the blurbs. And, yeah, every day I learn something new. So thanks a lot. And um, I guess I just I wanted to comment on... Um, I can't believe the mentality of these people, like um, these protesters in Copenhagen, lining up to protest against something that they're being given, you know. And I, I just, uh, it really, really bothers me. Like, and every aspect of their life is being pushed the screen agenda, right? Like, yeah. um, the TV, like every 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 favorite show that they have is pushing the screen agenda, and they're still demanding it. And they can't see that, like, mm -hmm. I mean, NBC had a green week, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and these extravagant um, protests by Greenpeace, and they're being put on the CBC all the time, and, and they still think they're special when they, every time they mention their carbon footprint yeah. and any, anything like that. So I guess mm -hmm. that's my comment. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for calling, Joey. But, but you're, you're quite right, though. Uh, they've also had an indoctrination in school. 
because you always preach the new doctrine in school first. That's what they set up the national education authorities across the world for, coupled to UNESCO, the United Nations, to create a common culture where they could indoctrinate them. If you don't believe me, look up to the writings of Julian Huxley. I've read some of them on the air. He was the first CEO of UNESCO. Lenin said the same thing. We've got a universal education to get to the children. If you can do that, you can literally take over the minds of all the children and teach them, as Lord Bertrand also said, the sky is actually black and not blue, and they will believe it. As long as they all are taught the same thing in unison, they'll believe whatever you tell them. And especially when you tell them, like Al Gore says, and the video is up there, I might put the link up again tonight when he's talking to these young children, you know things that your parents don't know. You're special. Well, that's the beginning of what we've called before the, uh, the, uh, the Obama youth, you might say, uh, the brown shirts, the red shirts, um, the Young Communist League. That's the same techniques that they use by the older ones that are taught to respect. He's a vice president telling children, a vice president telling children that your parents don't know these things, meaning your parents are stupid. Bypass the parents. That's what they've always said. Bypass them. Forget the older generation. They'll come down with all the sicknesses we've made for them. They'll die off early. And, and then the children will be uncontaminated. They'll have their right indoctrinations. To what? To serve a system that's been sold as a utopia. Like a Disney cartoon. That's what it is, folks. And guess what? The technique always works. Always works. The green shirts are here, and they're disrupting all the meetings of people who are giving alternate views, as yobos always do. From Hamish and myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.